a Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move. Down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the gun. who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. You're listening to the original Say the Damn Score podcast, part of the Say the Damn Score podcast network. Here's your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome back. To episode 137 of the Say the Damn Score podcast. As always, I'm your host, Logan Anderson, here in the almost world-famous Say the Damn Score podcast studio in my basement office in Burnsville, Minnesota. This show is about sportscasting and the sportscasting industry and usually features a guest from the said industry. But today is different. This is going to be a solo show and it's just going to be me here today. And uh, as I mentioned in our last episode, this podcast is pretty freshly off in approximately 11-month hiatus. Uh, we released an episode last week that had been in the can for almost a year, and I figured we should go with that first. I wanted to take an episode to explain why I needed a break, uh, everything that happened during that time frame, and more importantly, how it fundamentally changed me, many of the core beliefs I held, my future plans and goals for success, and what changes uh, you can expect to see in the future with this podcast. And if you followed the show for a long time, you probably have a pretty good idea, but I've, I kind of put it out in short bits here and there. And I just wanted to take some time, and I wanted to explain everything that happened. And again, I think that this isn't just an excuse to say why I was gone. It, I have some fundamentally different views on sportscasting, on what success means. I think that there's some serious things to think about that will affect this show and uh, in how I think about the business. I think... Probably the best place to start is to go back to March 12th, 2020. Everybody's favorite time, right? Uh, COVID-19 was starting to become a serious thing. It was actually the day that the NCAA tournament canceled. It was the day that several pro leagues shut down. And it was also the day that I was in Rochester, Minnesota, calling the NJCAA Division Three National Tournament. And during that tournament, I got a text message from my wife that would change my life. It was simply a photo with a picture of two different pregnancy tests that said positive. And I usually don't look at my phone during games, but I saw that a text was from my wife and during a free throw or some a slow part of the game, I opened it up to read it, and if you watch back the archive, you can actually hear an audible, whoa, in the middle of the broadcast before I recovered, and it just kind of went on as if it never happened, but uh, we were obviously extremely excited, but extremely nervous. It was our first child. We did not know how long or severe the pandemic was going to be. We didn't know how this would affect my budding streaming business. And more importantly, we didn't know what COVID-19 would mean 
to Sarah's pregnancy and the entire process. We still don't do to many degrees, but that was what was going through my head at that moment. And for the first 20 weeks, everything went relatively smoothly uh, early on. It was a little bit of weird. I wasn't able to go to a lot of the appointments because they were not allowing anyone else into the hospital, but uh, most of the early appointments for Sarah were relatively routine and didn't necessarily require me. And at the 20-week ultrasound, it was early July, I was able to go to the very first one. It was the the appointment where we learned whether the baby was a boy or a girl. We got into that room. The ultrasound technician started looking around, and we knew it was going to be bad news when the technician said, uh, I need to go get a doctor, which obviously sent our minds into a tailspin, wondering what the heck was going on and what was supposed to be, like I said, the day where we found out if it was a boy or a girl, which I guess we did. Spoiler alert, he was a boy. But it was also the day we found out that he was diagnosed with a severe case of congenital diaphragmatic hernia, which basically means there was a hole in the muscle between the chest cavity and the abdomen where organs in the abdomen can float up into the chest cavity, intestines, liver, all kinds of fun stuff. The problem is that that prevents the lungs from developing. It puts pressure on them. They can't inflate. And kids with this condition are born with lungs that don't work. We were told the bad news and then transferred to the University of Minnesota Masonic Children's Hospital, where we found out that he had only about a 20% chance of survival and that our best-case scenario would likely include a long stay in the NICU and potentially lifelong challenges. But we made the decision to do what we can. We fought for uh, every chance that that baby could possibly have. And part of that was we were told that there's a program at the Mayo Clinic, one of the top hospital programs in the entire country uh, in Rochester, Minnesota, ironically, about an hour and a half away from where we live, and they have a special program where they perform uh, in utero surgical procedure that, if successful, could flip the prognosis to an 80% chance of survival instead of the other way around. The catch, of course, being that we would have to meet some very specific criteria, and it was going to mean Sarah had to... Uh, deal with being poked and prodded, and that she would have to stay in Rochester uh, the last six weeks of her pregnancy under close observation in the hospital uh, because premature birth with this condition and this operation is a very bad thing. We ultimately did meet the criteria, and after fighting with our insurance company and a whole bunch of other drama that we don't need to go into, uh, it, it looked like things were going pretty well. As we mentioned, the biggest gamble was premature birth, and that's what ultimately happened. Uh, we named him Maverick because he did things in his own way. He decided to come early uh, after 33 weeks. He really needed to stay in there for three or four more 
to have a realistic chance. But he didn't, and he was born early and uh, was immediately put on a ventilator and taken to the NICU where uh, he stayed there for 16 days. And those 16 days were an absolute roller coaster of surgeries, um, operations. He was on a machine called ECMO, which I hope no one ever has to learn what that machine is about, but it's basically a heart-lung bypass system. After all that, he ultimately ended up passing away after 16 days, and it was really devastating then, and in so many ways is still devastating today. But time does pass, and while it doesn't go away, it does become a little easier to deal with. And life doesn't stop, so we have uh, done everything we can to press forward and do so in a way that carries on his memory. Now let's backtrack a little bit. Uh, During that entire time, I was trying to also build my streaming business in its second year, which proved to be virtually impossible because in the heart of the pandemic with all the pro leagues canceled, nobody believed that high school sports were going to happen and uh, they didn't happen normally by any stretch of the imagination. But my peak sales time where I make probably 70 to 80% of my income is in that April to July window and we had zero sales during that time uh, because no one would commit money to something that they didn't know if it was going to happen or not and uh, that meant that I had to get a second job at Home Depot where I usually worked from 6 a.m. until noon and then I would try to Uh, make my way to Sarah's appointments, to visit her at the hospital uh, when she was there, to visit the NICU, and at times either try to make sales or into the fall, trying to call games and get people to call games in the middle of pandemic. The schedules changed just about daily with teams having to cancel games because of COVID and then having to find other announcers to fill in on short notice It was just an absolute mess. It was every bit as messy as that description would entail. I got almost no sleep. I was losing hair in clumps, gaining weight in bunches, and just trying to balance being emotionally strong to support Sarah while she was just being a warrior going through all of this while simultaneously going through uh, the most intense stress and grief that... I've ever and hopefully will ever uh, experience. I hope that all (laughs) makes sense and is coherent. I can't possibly share every twist and turn or wrenching moment along the way. We'd be here all day and everyone would leave this podcast sad, which isn't my intention. But there is one moment that I really wanted to share and it very specifically led to a lot of deep soul-searching and thinking about priorities and what I was doing and how I wanted to do things different going forward. And that day was actually the day before Maverick died. We had 
actually gotten really good news from the doctors that day. His lungs had made great progress to the point where the doctors and nurses had started talking about plans in weeks and months instead of hours and days. And I don't really know how to explain it, and I hope no one ever has to experience it, but uh, that was somewhat shocking and hopeful going into that situation and starting to hear that when it was always so touch and go for so long. I made the decision to go in early to see Maverick visit him in the NICU in the morning. Then I left in the afternoon uh, to go run a camera for one of my soccer broadcasts. I knew I wasn't going to be able to do the game prep or do any of the stuff necessary to do the broadcast, but I couldn't find a camera person, and I decided the easiest solution uh, with that news was for me to just go and do it myself. And ultimately, that was the afternoon that Maverick had the best day of his short life. Things had gone well enough that the medical staff had decided that it was okay for him to be held. Sarah was able to hold him for much of that afternoon. When I heard that news, I was through the roof thinking that I was going to get to do the same thing the next day, but... That morning, we got the call that we needed to get down there, and uh, we didn't get that chance. The only time I got to hold him was after they had stopped CPR, and he passed away in both Sarah and I's arms, and that was the only time that I ever got. So um, that is a really hard and bitter pill to swallow for me, and I'm sorry if I'm getting a little choked up and I don't necessarily blame myself for the decision I made. It made sense at the time based on the information that we received from the doctors and nurses. But it's certainly something that still to this day I regret and I don't want to put myself in a position where I feel like I ever have to make that decision again. Where I can't, I don't really know what to say. I just, and it's definitely something that has changed my priorities, forced me to reevaluate a lot of things and ensure that I don't ever make a decision that leads to something like that again. So with that in mind, I want to share the biggest changes in my mindset, and they revolve around what it means to be successful and what sacrifices I'm willing to make to reach that definition of success for now and in the future. And for years, I believed that anything besides eventually ending up in the booth of a Division I pro or network broadcast was a failure. I always wanted it so bad. Part of me still does. But I basically organized everything in my life around the pursuit of that goal for probably 12 years. And up until that day in the NICU, I never really questioned why I wanted that or whether it was worth it. So a couple months after all of this happened, I sat down and I just wrote down on a list the things that I love about sportscasting. And It ended up really being six things. One, 
I love the rush of turning on the mic and that crescendo that you build to when describing an exciting play. There's some kind of dopamine hit that my brain gives me that I just love it. I don't know how to reproduce it in any other way. It's the only thing that gives me that feeling, and it's amazing. Two, I love connecting with an audience. That goes right along with number three, which is I love performing live and being an entertainer, which also goes along with number four, that I love telling stories. I don't particularly like telling the story that I'm telling right now, but um, generally I enjoy the role of being the storyteller. I love being part of a team. That's particularly enjoyable when you're traveling with a team. Well, you're not actually part of the team. You at least feel tangentially a part of the team. And I love to achieve. I like to compete. I like to set a goal, and I like the feeling of reaching it. The reality is that all of those things are at my fingertips doing high school games just as much as they would be if I were calling the NFL on CBS. Big plays still happen. The audience may be smaller, but the connection on a local level is almost certainly deeper than what you would get from a larger job. You still get the satisfaction of performing live. You may have to dig a little bit deeper, but you can still find great stories. They are always there. The feeling of being part of a team is much less doing what I'm doing compared to when I was working in a radio station where you had a team in your coworkers, or even when you were traveling with a college team where you were riding the bus and staying in the hotel uh, with a team and feeling like you were part of something. But now with what I'm doing, I'm really creating my own team of young announcers and, and team member employees who now I can be the one to help them grow in the business, which has its own a level of satisfaction. And when it comes to being able to achieve something, a growing a successful business every day feels like an achievement. It's a roller coaster in its own way. And while this may take me off of the path towards climbing the uh, traditional linear broadcasting ladder, it is putting me on a path to where I can achieve more freedom and better compensation uh, than just about anybody who's not in the very top of this this business at the network level. So really, everything that makes me happy in the sports casting business is something that I can get doing what I'm doing right now. On the flip side, I also made a list of the things that I don't like about the business. Number one on that list is the politics and brown-nosing that it takes to climb the sports casting ladder. I get great joy in talking to other sportscasters about the business and building relationships and making friends. I hate having to brown nose and kiss up to decision makers, and I don't want to do it anymore. It's just not worth it. Number two, I really hate the fact that the sportscasting business is not a meritocracy. 
the best person at the job hardly ever gets the job. It goes to the best fit or somebody who's already involved in the organization. And the number of people who have high-profile jobs that, honestly, I know I'm a better broadcaster than, uh, that list is long. And it's really frustrating to see that. And uh, doing what I'm doing now, I don't have to worry about that. I'm rewarded by my work, and nobody else has any say over it. And number three, it's just a crappy business. Everybody is treated as replaceable. People are hired and fired all the time, with or without legitimate cause. And the reality is that sportscasters have to work ridiculous hours and mostly get paid crap. And doing what I'm doing now, I finally feel like my boss values me because (laughs) I am my boss. I try to pass that down uh, to the people that work for me. But ultimately, I love the freedom to control my time and to control how well I'm compensated as opposed to, again, having to kiss up to those decision makers who make those decisions for you. And after all that, the last few years, I've really been able to more or less eliminate the aspects of the industry from my life that I don't like, and I'm getting all the good things that I enjoy. And after what I've been through, I don't have any motivation to bring back the politics to the lack of meritocracy to being in the rat race. I just don't want to do it anymore. It's not worth it. It's why I've decided uh, very specifically to not chase jobs anymore. I'm done. This is what I'm doing. Uh, I'm going to do it the best I can. Again, I know that it makes me happy. It allows me to be more present, and it allows me to be compensated well. This is what I am putting my full energy into until further notice. Part of that does feel like giving up on the dream or like I'm failing. But when I really think about it, that is all just ego. As I just said, I have every part of the business that makes me happy right now. I have to deal with very little of the parts that made me unhappy. I'm in a position to care for my wife, hopefully someday my kids, and I completely control my time and my finances in a way that very few in sportscasting can truly say they do. I'm also fortunate enough to be in a major metro where all kinds of opportunities are available locally, and even though I'm not chasing them, I'm not going to, I'm not closed off to them, it would have to be on my terms, which certainly makes it more challenging and maybe a long shot, but you never know what can happen over time. So after all that, how is this show going to look different? Well, I'm glad you asked. I still want to know about different broadcasters' paths through this business. I find that fascinating. I still want to find tips and tricks to improve as a broadcaster. I still have the same ambition that I've always had to do great play-by-play. And I'm still fascinated by the weird stories in the business that I try to get my guests to tell. What I'm not going to do anymore is focus on finding uh, the biggest names possible, basically for the sole purpose of moving the needle 
and bringing in curious listeners. I imagine every now and then I'll get one, but it's not something that I'm going to put a lot of time and energy into anymore. What I'm more interested in is focusing on real talk in the industry with smart broadcasters who I've met around the country. And they may not be in huge positions, but they have great insight and great stories that, honestly, often they are more willing to share than the people who have already reached the top of the ladder, who are comfortable, who may not want to give advice because they don't want someone coming for their job, or they just have a good enough position where they don't want to say anything uh, interesting or potentially controversial. So with the guests that I do get, the things that I'm going to want to know from here on out are, A, how they define their own success in this business. As as you could tell from this episode, uh, my thoughts have changed, and I'm really interested. I'm going to guess a lot of people don't even think about it, and that we're going to get some very interesting uh, answers and discussion from asking that question. I also want to find people who have succeeded in different ways in the business without climbing the linear ladder and placating traditional gatekeepers. And most importantly, because I don't want this to turn into a negative gripe session, I want to know what people love about this business, and I want to know why they love it and what makes them happy and why sportscasting gets into their blood in a way that they just can't get rid of. I find that more interesting, again, than climbing the ladder that has missing rungs and sawed-off steps seemingly every step of the way. I still hope to publish this show on a bi-weekly basis, but I doubt I'll go another five years without missing an episode like I did when I started this show. I think just about all of you understand that. In fact, I was really pleasantly surprised to find that when I did publish my first episodes after an 11-month break, that my download numbers were basically exactly where they were when I left off. So a very few of you hit unsubscribe during that time, and I really want you to know how much that means to me that you guys stuck with me through this time. That's going to do it for this episode. If you're not already subscribed, and I seriously doubt you've made it this far into this particular show, if you're not, but nonetheless, if you're new, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And also, make sure to give me a follow on Twitter, at Radio underscore Logan. I give show updates, play-by-play clips, thoughts on the industry, and Quite a few pictures of me and my dog hiking at state parks. That's probably the real reason why you should follow me on Twitter. Uh, But last but not least, thanks for listening. And the next time you're on the air, make sure to say the damn score just a little bit more.